platform, uh, thank you for your liberality this morning. Uh, each of you that are here, God richly bless you. I want to minister this morning from John chapter 5, uh, and uh, this is Father's Day. And uh, uh, the reason I'm preaching this message, uh, I've had numbers of calls, uh, text uh, from around the world, uh, um, concerning this issue. It's been uh, social media, uh, Zoom, the list goes on and on. Uh, uh, but there's been a lot of press recently on George Floyd, uh, this tragic death uh, in Minneapolis with this policeman's knee upon his neck. Uh, and it triggered massive emotion a pain, a memories, uh, many people around the world. And I want to say I hate injustice, I hate racism, and I hate lies. And so I want to kind of prep this uh, before I speak this morning. Out of Chandler, we've launched 13 black um, African-American men into the ministry. All but two of those are either still in the ministry or in this church today. I've pastored generations of black families. I've preached their funerals. I've dedicated their babies to the Lord. I've counseled their marriages. I've rejoiced with them and wept with them. I've performed numerous black African-American weddings, black men marrying black ladies, black men marrying white ladies, black men marrying Mexican ladies. Black men and women have held every position possible in this church over the years, from assistant pastors to church council, Bible study leaders, leaders of bands, dramas, plays, uh, over nursery, song leaders, door directors, platform ministry, ushers, church council, a secretary treasurer, and I could go on and on. <clears throat> True story. Uh, Fred and Alicia Nolan today pastoring in Houston, Texas, a number of years ago when they were in the congregation at Christmas time, uh, they and their family were having dinner at our house. And Alicia and Fred, they had a family that was visiting with them from South Chicago. And later Alicia told me, she said, Pastor, my family could not believe, one, that we ate at the pastor's house, especially in the Christmas season. And the implication was even more profound that I was white. And, of course, they're a black family. And so not only that, we've launched numerous 
uh, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, Filipinos, Native Americans, Samoans, Chinese, Indians, white people from this congregation. So, but not just that I have pastored um, different races of people and discipled them and launched them into the ministry, but I've pastored multiple personalities and people from all kinds of various backgrounds, from the streets and drugs to kids raised in church today in the ministry on the field, from poverty and little education to those who were highly educated. I've launched people that have been gifted and talented and also we've launched those of very little gifting and talent. And I want to say all of this has been by the grace and the mercy of God. It's been by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is from Chandler, Arizona. We're not talking a mega city. We're not talking Atlanta or Chicago or L.A. or somewhere. And so evidently God saw the heart of this congregation and he's brought people from around the world of all kinds of different races and backgrounds into this place. And it's been my privilege to be your pastor and their pastor all of these years. Yes, Saying... And so I've entitled this sermon, Where Are the Fathers? Come on. And I want to read an interesting verse of Scripture from John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all the things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus this morning. God, I pray insight to revelation, grace to minister. Give these people understanding as Christians, as born-again believers. God, give me words to speak that bring deliverance, dominion, power, and revelation in this hour in which we live. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Racism is the hot topic of the hour. So what is racism? It's prejudice. It's discrimination. And most of the time it's directed at someone with a different skin color 
or different tribe or tongue, the Bible says. It's a belief of superiority because of skin color or tribalism or birth. It's a feeling of superiority because of characteristics or culture or physical features. Racism is as old as sin. Jews were slaves for 400 years. Some say 200. And this was an element of racism. The Jews themselves, the Bible says, had no dealings with the Samaritans. They hated and despised them, wouldn't even walk on their soil. The story in John 4 with Jesus with the woman at the well is so interesting and so explosive because she was a Samaritan. She was shocked that he would even speak to her. His disciples were shocked when they saw him speaking to her. Part of that element, much of that element, was because of racism. Hitler, Nazi Germany, the Holocaust. And they were trying to effectively annihilate Jews as a race of people. Some six million Jews in this genocide, uh, that's racism. Uh, there's a term, a modern day genocide. It was a hundred day bloodbath in Rwanda, Africa, 1994. The Hutus uh, killed 900,000 Tutsis modern-day genocide. They had the same skin color, basically. They were raised for generations together. <clears throat> they lived in the same neighborhoods. They attended the same schools. They called it black-on-black -black genocide because they were different tribes and this racism exploded. I spoke with John Overson, who was pastoring there, and Lake Victoria, he said, bodies, they had bulldozers burying the bodies that were coming down the river. I've ministered many times in India. I pastored Indians in Malaysia. Their ancestors' roots were in, and if you're familiar with India, there's what they call the caste system. This is different levels of society, social hierarchy. It was caste-based prejudice, they say, that live on today. And especially it had to do with money and power. When it came to marriage, uh, it was almost impossible to marry out of your caste. Dan and Monica, Rubianas know more about this than I do, at living there for many years. Uh, but there was the priestly caste at the top, the Brahmas. There were the rulers and administrators and the warriors. Then there were the merchants, the tradesmen, and the farmers. And there were the laboring class. 
And then at the very bottom, the untouchables. When I went to Malaysia in 1987, I opened a church. Uh, and uh, we had people who spoke Chinese, people who spoke Tamil, Hindi. We had uh, people who spoke English. Uh, and I immediately sent back to the U.S. for headphones and brought all of these people together. That was unheard of in Malaysia, 1988, uh, 87. Uh, Chinese had their services, <clears throat> the Indians had their services, and the English-speaking had their services. All of these were forms of racism. Robert and Rose Hedegaard spent much, many years of their adult life ministry in Africa, are presently in Accra, Ghana, Africa. Rose, a few months ago for any of this, she called me weeping. And here's a woman who's given much of her adult life to the continent of Africa. I'm watching she teaches school to children for free. I'm watching her in the church, all of these children just surrounding her, loving her. Auntie Rose, Auntie Rose, Auntie Rose. She called me weeping and said, Pastor, they hate me here. She said, I'm in the market. Women are hissing at me. You don't belong here, white woman. Go home. Why are you here, white woman? <clears throat> She's weeping. Here's a couple that have given their lives, much of their lives, to another race of people. How many remember Pollock jokes? Uh, a lot of young people. I remember everybody had a Pollock joke. Ethnic slurs, wops for Italians. These were racial stereotypes. Charles Barkley, and I've talked to him a couple times in the airport. He lives in Scottsdale. Um, have to kind of like the guy. You may not, but... When San Antonio Spurs were playing in the playoffs, he and, of course, the whole crew there, Shaq and uh, Kenny and all of them, they were there. Uh, doing the, the playoffs and I don't know if Kenny uh, set him up or what and he said well what do you think about San Antonio and Charles Barkley as only he can do went crazy he said Wade Watchers has got a gold mine down here Victoria ain't got no secrets down here these women got big bloomers big bloomers bloomer bloomer bloomers uh, and then he said, what do you think of the river walk? And he said, well, he said, ain't a river and it ain't a walk. It's a dirty creek. And anyway, of course, there was an outrage because uh, many Hispanic women, of course, in that part of the world, we got great churches. I preach in San Antonio, uh, Pastor Richard Ruby and Yolanda, and they thought they accused him of racism. Said he was taking shots at Mexican women and uh, he said, I ain't apologizing. He said, if you don't like it, turn off the TV. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I don't know if it was or wasn't, uh, but it probably wasn't in good taste. Uh, but the outrage is you need, uh, you're taking racist shots. 
Racism. Racism. God hates and the Bible speaks against racism. The Bible says we were all created in his likeness and in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. So God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Acts 17.26. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. The Apostle Paul, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. God and the Bible speaks against racism. I don't care in what form, shape, history, family, background. Peter, Acts 10, 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Verse 35, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This is Peter after he's gone to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. After he's had, you know, it's possible to be saved and have some racist tendencies. Peter, God had to show him a vision and speak to him and a sheet out of heaven. He didn't want to go to the Gentiles. But after that, um, he said, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Famous scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The world, every kindred, tongue, tribe, race, and people. Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the book of Revelations, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, After these things I looked, behold, a great multitude which no man could number. Now think about this. This is eternity. This is what's waiting for you. Of all nations, tribes, people, and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, clothed with robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. To all nations, tribes, people, 
and tongue. Our Declaration of Independence addresses this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Racism is sin. It's ungodly. It's demonic inspired. I experienced racism. Some of you have heard me mention this over the years. I was raised in the country, <clears throat> right at the edge of Creel Springs, a little town when I was a kid. It might have been 3,000 people. I lived there basically from 1942 to 1956. I didn't really know any people other than white country folk. 45 minutes today from there to Kentucky. I was a good kid. I was shy. I was respectful. I knew how to work. I loved sports. We were poor. We had a well we got water from, outdoor toilet. I didn't know I was poor, but looking back, we were poor. We had an old coal stove. My closet was a nail on the wall. I didn't have many clothes. I didn't need more than a nail. These clothes were hand-me-downs from a cousin from California. I still got my school pictures, and you could tell because the collar was about five sizes too big for me. Love baseball and basketball. I remember we got a radio, but my father would not allow me to touch it. 1956, uh, 1955 actually, graduated, I guess it was from the eighth grade. In 56, we moved to East Chicago, Indiana. I went to high school, now East Chicago, Washington. My father had gone broke. He's now a gardener. He mowed and took care of flower beds and etc. for the CEOs of Inland Steel. He began to drink really, really heavy, hard liquor, Seagram's VO. My whole world flipped upside down. Now I'm in high school with hundreds and hundreds of students, Slovaks, Polacks, Hungarians, Serbs, Greeks, Italians, Germans, Blacks, Mexicans. I dress different. I had an accent. I still have an accent. My hair was cut different. My mannerisms. This is the first time I can ever remember hearing the word hillbilly. I didn't even know what it meant, but I soon found out it was a a race term. It was a slur. It was an attack. I was catching it from every side. I was new, out of my element, and I can remember I ran or fought 
probably every day after school for months, seemed probably like years. I can remember uh, begin to make some acquaintances in the block and I can't remember exactly who they were, two or three kids, and I invited them. We lived in an apartment upstairs uh, on First Street. Um, the Maniotises lived downstairs. They rented my mom and dad a little apartment, had two bedrooms. And I remember they wanted to come upstairs and so I'm trying to make friends and my dad had an old country work hat my mother had washed this and to make it dry in shape, we didn't have a washer or dryer, uh, she put it on a bowl. I can still see the bowl, it was a green bowl. She shoved it on this bowl and to them that was the most hilarious hillbilly thing they had ever seen in all of life. So after that, it wasn't just hillbilly, but it was Joe Bullhead. I know what it's like. And I don't live there, don't dwell there. You've heard me tell the story of Benny Bunny, Dan Rubianist helped me find a picture of Edith Bell, this black girl, if you could show her, there she is. 19, about 1960. She was in my homeroom class and she embraced me. She began to walk down the halls with me, began to talk to me, and she changed my world. I'm a young kid, freshman or so in high school, sophomore by then probably. And she was black and I was white. And she probably, in hindsight perhaps, I don't know, paid a price for that. Who are you embracing? Who are you embracing? And so I understand there's a lot of dynamics in life. I've lived a few years. I've been a missionary in foreign countries. I understand there's a lot of chemistry. But I want to ask you a question. Where are the fathers? This is Father's Day. And I want to put a hypothetical question to you as a church, as an individual. If we could hypothetically erase all racism in America, gone, no more. Would that solve the problems of the inner city? No. Would that solve your problem? Your family? We have saw a lot of action in Minneapolis, Seattle, Atlanta. We talk about Chicago, we, Baltimore. We could go on and on. Memorial Day Chicago, this past Memorial Day, 52 shot, 18 murdered. In 24 hours, it was the most violent day in the history of Chicago. And one of the captions said, uh, why do we kill our own? Because the vast majority of this was black on black crime. 
I believe it would help. Absolutely it would help because racism is evil. It's wicked. It's sin. I've seen it, experienced it, felt it. Maybe not as much as some have. But to be honest, when the race element was removed, it didn't solve all my problems. As a junior, I moved back to southern Illinois. Moved with my aunt and uncle. And now I'm back in Creel Springs. There are no Slovaks and Polacks and Hungarians and Serbs and Greeks, and I could go on and on. But I didn't automatically then become a good person. I got worse. Alcohol, anger, violence, rebellion. Because there were other issues at work that were deeper. I want you to think about this text. Here is Jesus, the Son of God. Revelation that has never been known to humanity. Power unbelievable. And he makes this statement. John 5, 19. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. Message translation. For what the father does the Son does. Now think of who's saying that. I can do nothing but what I see my Father do. Let me ask you a question. What if there's no Father to see? What if there's no Father's presence, no Father's example, no Father's influence, no Father's words, no Father's guidance, no Father's love? my years in East Chicago, Indiana, I can't remember one conversation with my father. Uh, he never came. I played basketball. Never came to one game. And now, I didn't understand it so much then. He had his own demons. As I mentioned, he had a battle with the bottle. But not only that, he spent 40, I think 44 months in World War II. I remember one time as a boy, I unrolled a scroll, was his company. I'd got it out of his drawer, I'd laid it on his bed, and he came up behind me, and I thought I'm going to get in trouble. And he began to point, and he said, these are the only ones that came home. It wasn't that many. My grandmother once made this statement to me. She said, son, you need to understand when your dad came home from the war, he was never the same again. So I, in hindsight, see that. But Jesus' words, I can only see, I can only do what I see my father do. What the Father does, the Son does. What if there is no Father? What if there's no Father's voice, no Father's see? i give you some quotes. Written by black men. 
some black man was a title, raised by no one. Certainly their fathers aren't raising them. The 70% illegitimacy rate is troubling in itself, but it's not evenly distributed. It's concentrated in the poor neighborhoods where it soars to 85 cents. Listen to these words. A house without a father is a challenge. A neighborhood without a father is a catastrophe. Martin Luther King Jr. said, he wanted above all else to get black people to shed the idea that they do not control their destiny. Alvin Poussant, this is a black man, says, have we created a culture of psychological slavery? Has the official message from the civil rights leaders, black people are victims of the system, have they promoted and protected the image of blacks as disadvantaged, oppressed, perpetually victimized. We gave our lives, we marched, marched, we fought. It's talking about the civil rights movement. So black children could have an education, but what good is Brown versus the Board of Education if nobody wants it? Pastor Stacy Dillard told me a story. I don't know if he read it or saw it or whatever. He said, Pastor, in the black community, if you get out of prison, they throw a block party. If you get a diploma from a university, you get a couple of pats on the back. Let me ask you, where are the marches about so many black men and women drop out of school? Where are the marches? Pete White sent me an article. It's an interview with Denzel Washington. You're no doubt familiar with him. One of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. So I watched it and they kept wanting him to say it's the system. It's the system. It's the system. And he said, no, it's the home. It's the father. It's the father. He said, I had three friends. Together, they spent 60 plus years combined in prison. He said, what was the difference between them and me? He said, I had a dad. And they kept trying to press him and he told a story about a young black kid, uh, uh, Yummy, you can Google it, I did. I'd never heard of this kid. And he said, the home has the children before anyone. And he said, I was in Chicago and here are these five or six, seven kids on bicycles with their mask on the side of their face and my driver said, uh, Mr. Washington, there goes Yummy. He said, Yummy, Yummy who? And come to find out this was a young black kid. His mother was a prostitute. His father was absent, didn't know who he was. 
eight or nine years old, he's involved in gangs, he's carrying a weapon, he's shooting people. And the reason the gang would have him do very, because they knew if he got caught because of his age, there'd be no prison. A couple other boys from uh, the black uh, disciples, a gang in Chicago, 13, 14 years old, asked him to kneel and killed him when I think he was 12 years old. And he told that story and he said, where are the 12 years old? And he told that story and he said, where are the fathers? Where are the fathers? Where are the marches? Black lives matter, and I believe they do. I believe all lives matter. But where are the marches concerning abortion? Half of all abortions in America almost half, 40-something percent, is to black mothers. 22 million out of 54, 55 million. Whereas the outrage, don't their lives matter? I'm asking you to think about things and issues and mindsets beyond just the media or the moment. Where are the fathers? You want to march and riot and you won't be a father to your own children? And I know that's not everybody. As a family, as an individual, as a community, as a church, as a nation, Somewhere you have to accept responsibility. You've heard me preach this for years for who you are and where you are in life. And I understand there's a lot of dynamics in life. Where are the marches if lives matter and black lives matter? Where are the reverence come out of your pulpit about rap music or video games that glorifies and celebrates gangbangers, drug dealers, pimps? It's a $5 billion industry moving towards $6 billion that markets the idea that violence, murder is the true image. I quote, black coolness is a gun in each hand and a couple of bees on your arms. I'll let you interpret that. Where are the marches? Do black women's lives matter? You say, absolutely, of course they do. Where's the outrage then? Again, against this multi-billion dollar industry 
that the message is over and over disrespectful, degrading, and abusing women. They're bees, they're whores, they're dogs. And the lyrics is so nasty and degrading, I can't repeat it from the pulpit. Where's the outrage? Where's the outrage? Where's the march? Where have the leaders gone? And here, I'm, I'm challenging you to think about things. And I'm going to try to close with the, the mentors, the role models, the successful, the fathers. Let me tell you about Creel Springs, Illinois. When I was growing up, it was a beautiful small town with hills and maple trees. Think what we had. We had a lumber yard, hardware store, Kroger store, two clothing stores, barbershop pool hall, a drug store, a skating rink, a movie theater, five grocery stores, a nursing home for the elderly, a dentist, a doctor, four restaurants, a school, and a train depot. Today, they have one gas station, one restaurant, and an extension or a drive-through bank. It's filled with trailers that have burned down from cooking meth. It's filled with the generations of welfare. Population is about 500. Numbers of our pastors have been with me to grannies, some of you. When you drive up the street to get there, their yard looks like a junkyard. And I know everybody's not like that, but what created that? I've pondered this. I've had some discussions with people. Anyone who was educated, those who had worth ethic and became successful, those who were talented, those who had ability, those who went away to university, they never came home. They moved to Lake of Egypt, Marion, various places around the world. Never came back. In other words, there was no role model, by and large. A moral element left. Work ethic, character, fathers, people who had a different value system left, gone. And who can blame them? Who can blame them? Who can blame them? LeBron James, just he's building a $52 million home. And again, listen, I want you to hear me out. Uh, picture of it. Uh, Hollywood Hills. 
And again, I don't know all the dynamics. Some of these people, I know Michael Jordan used to have to rent a grocery store at night because he couldn't go on the street because people would mob him. President Obama just bought a home on Martha's Vineyard. My question is, what if these people, and again, I don't blame them, what if he went back to South Chicago? Who has more influence? Who wants to put your kids there where they possibly get shot or gunned down? Every other week, uh, wheels are gone from your automobile. I understand it. But what I'm saying, if the only role model of any kind of wealth, or maybe a term swag, is a gangbanger, a drug dealer, a pimp, and no father, what are you going to become? Feeds itself. Can you imagine? And maybe they do. I know LeBron James has, has built schools for underprivileged, and I hear they're very successful. But it's going to take more than money. Jesus had to come, and we have to go. And I'm telling you, it's going to take more than riots, marches, and they have their place, but someone has to live there. Someone has to carry the presence of God. An anointed voice from God. Someone has to demonstrate in human flesh and blood, visible, God's love for you. Hope for you. Oh, you may not have a father, but God is a father to the fatherless. Someone. In Isaiah 6, verse 8, is a scripture, as I was studying, thing, that astounds me. Here is God, and he said, who will go for us? Now think that here's God spoke creation into existence. But when it came to reaching and impacting humanity for God, he said, who will go for us? I have to have someone who will go. All of this about policemen. Defund the police department. We have three. Sonny's retired. Have Jacob, Brandon, different ones in the... And, and again, I might have been Charles Barkley. He said, think for a moment. Say we defund all the police departments. Number one, who are you going to call when someone's breaking in your house? Uh, who are you going to call? The Boy Scouts? And again, he said, who is going to suffer the most? Who is going, who needs the police more than possibly any group of society? It's the poor, it's the inner city, 
That's where a majority of a crime takes place, especially violent crime. Who will go for us? Jesus says, uh, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so the big question, who will go? Creel Springs. Let's go back to Creel Springs. Uh, today, as I said, they have a gas station and it's, it's a mess. And so I talked to some people there moved me one day. I was driving and I went around this curve and here's a trailer. I mean, it's ready to fall down. I mean, it's the doors hanging off of it. The windows are kicked out. Here's a couple little girls playing in a mud puddle. Dress torn. And I, I just, I stopped I, I, and I said hello and the little girl just smiled. And the mother came out and uh, she looked, I, I'm, I didn't ask her, but she absolutely looked like she was high. So I asked some of these people, I said, why don't, why don't you do something? Why don't you, why don't you clean up this man? Why don't you help? Why don't you get involved? And you know what they said? They said, Joe, you're from here. You were a basketball star. They still talk about you. You've pastored. We've heard, you know, from your family. You're preaching around the world and pastor in Arizona. Why don't you come back and help us? Did I go? No. I'm still here. I could say, you know, I, well, I love them folks in Chandler. But I had, I thought, even if I went, would it work? And so, is that systemic racism? I ain't going back there. Not me, I'm out of there. I'll go sit on Granny's porch once in a while, drink some iced tea. Pastor Mitchell made a statement many, 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 many years ago in a sermon. Are you willing to leave what you have to obtain that which you cannot see? Archie and his wife and family went back to Ferguson when all the riots were going on. He was from there out of Rick Martinez's church. I think about Junior and Chautauqua, their kids. He sent me a Father's Day today. Pastor Campbell... Thank you, being my spiritual father. Love you. They're in South Chicago. They're kids. That's what's going to take. And when all of this, we need to send outreach teams into these places. I know everybody's not going to move. But there has to be to change a culture, a society, a race, a neighborhood. There has to be a living presence. 
There has to be those that'll go. There has to be influence. And again, I have a backhoe back in Illinois that was given to me years ago. And I did like maybe a lot of other people do. Only on another level. I said, hey, I got that backhoe. You can use it anytime you want to. Don't ask me to move back here. And that's not evil. But what I'm saying to you, trying to challenge you to think, we got to have a move of God. We got to have a Holy Ghost move of God that brings about conversions and that will change. Where are the fathers? Where are the fathers? Don't talk to me about systemic racism if you won't be a father to your own kids. And again, I understand to some degree. Who'll go for God? Just got a picture. Some of you know who that is. Just graduated from high school in California. Tammy, she said, I graduated today. I just wanted to say thank you for everything you've done for my family that helped me to get where I am now. And you're part of that. Who are you helping to get places they can never get on their own? Who are you helping? And, and I know we got churches, these flags, you've helped people. God, your reward in heaven will be beyond measure. But I'm trying to stir you To change, I don't care if it's Malaysia. You know, I used to preach world evangelism. I still preach. But you know what gave my messages such clout? I went. I went to a Muslim country. Took my wife. JRL was small. I went. Wasn't just rhetoric. Wasn't just talk. Went and lived there. And this is no different. I can only do what I see my father do. What if there's no one to see that has any God in them? What if there's no one to see that has any morals or righteousness or Jesus? What do you do? You become like those you see. I ask you to bow your head with me this morning. God, we love you in this place. God, we love your name in this place. 
God, we're asking for cities and nations for your name. You're here this morning, heads are bowed, no one moving for a few moments. You're unsaved. You're not right.